Welcome to Sights and Sounds, a podcast series presented each year by the Gotham Center for New York City History for Open House New York Weekend. I'm your host and the show's producer, Peter Christian Eigner, the Gotham Center's director. And this year, because COVID-19 robbed us of the many spaces normally open to the public each fall by this wonderful event, we decided on something a little different. Because we're all stuck at home instead of traipsing around this city we love, this season of Sights and Sounds focuses on locations that can't be visited anyway. Places that are long gone, that were nonetheless of great importance to New York's history. We're calling it Lost NYC. In this episode, Randall Mason talks about North Brother, the larger of two small islands lying between the industrial shores of Queens and the Bronx, perhaps the least known area in Gotham's archipelago. Until a smallpox outbreak in 1881, it was that rarest thing in New York, an unused bit of realty. But over the next 75 years, the island became the destination for most of the cities infected whenever a bout of infectious disease led to warnings of pestilence. Like the infamous hospitals on Blackwell's Island, the quarantine hospital on North Brother was often described in stark terms as New York's pest house. Its best known resident was Typhoid Mary, a cook forcibly exiled onto the island, like many of the people who ended up there. With advances in science, it fell into disfavor and eventually disuse. But here, Mason, the co-author of North Brother Island, The Last Unknown Place in New York City, tells us why this now abandoned, once feared part of Gotham is still very much worth remembering and perhaps one day visiting. To hear the rest of this series, exploring New York City's most important historical sites and organizations, visit us at gothamcenter.org or find us wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening. Next time you fly into LaGuardia, look out the window. As you cross the length of Manhattan Island or down from Westchester, you'll see a pair of islands slotted between the gritty shores of the Bronx and Queens with the airport line just beyond. They can also be glimpsed by cruising the Whitestone Bridge, a couple of spots of brown or green wildness rising from the blue-gray water against the edge of the Bronx. Take an East River boat tour and you can sidle up right next to them, although only tree canopies and one stray smokestack are visible. At the water's edge, the stone seawall alternates with gravelly beach and a big ferry dock and a gantry on the western side. To find the brothers, in other words, you have to be looking for them. North and South Brother Island are hidden in plain sight. The islands are owned by New York City and managed by its Department of Parks and Recreation. North Brother, the larger of the two, is about a quarter mile long and not quite as wide, about 20 acres in total. Look closer, especially in the winter, and you'll see the ruins of a dozen or so buildings amid lots of unruly forest and vegetation. The island was used by government for a variety of things over the past 150 years, but served principally as an isolation hospital, protecting the city from infectious disease. Today, it is a cultural ruin and a nature sanctuary closed to the public and virtually invisible to more than 8 million New Yorkers. While it fascinates the way all ruins do, don't mistake the island's currently disused abandoned state as a sign of its irrelevance to New York City's history and culture. It has stories to tell. Traces of the extensive hospital campus remain, as do the outlines of a once thriving neighborhood and buildings linked to notorious people and events. And the place may even have a future as a public space. As a matter of deeper history, 
North Brother is mostly a naturally formed island comprised of glacial till, the material left behind 10 or 20,000 years ago as glaciers retreated and melted. Many of the New York Harbor Islands, including most of Long Island, are post-glacial features, as this part of North America was quite near the edge of glacial advance. The history of North Brother Island as a natural landscape is, like all ecological histories, one of disturbance. The use of landfill to increase the area of land, the building of a seawall to control shoreline changes, the clearing of vegetation to arrange lawns, the paving of walking paths and landscaping for a campus, and even the island's abandonment in 1964, all forms of disturbance. All these events, ecological, climatic, geomorphological, other natural processes, contribute to the seemingly wild place one encounters today. The Parks Department has made honorable efforts to restore ecosystems and understand the building remnants, but the island remains inaccessible. While funds are allocated to other intensely used parks in other underserved parts of the city, North Brother Island's future is uncertain. The natural history of North Brother Island highlights the power of wildness. The historian William Cronin has written memorably on the distinction between wildness, a quality of many natural things and places, and the chimera of quote unquote wilderness, a state of being that humans have made impossible by reshaping the whole surface of the earth. But wildness rules North Brother Island. One sees it in the aggressiveness of invasive plants, rending apart buildings and invading walls and floors, consuming architectural forms and also in the resilience of herons nesting in groves of mulberry. Once North Brother Island found its raison d'etre as a hospital, fighting the wildness of germs amok in the city. Now it harbors the wildness of birds, plants, and the odd renegade artist. North Brother Island's history really isn't secret or even particularly mysterious. One can read about it easily in archives, on historic maps, and in traces of the buildings themselves but it was a marginal and minor piece of the New York archipelago until the late 19th century, when calls for social and sanitary reform, new scientific thinking about disease, and the massive development and expansion of the metropolis combined to remake it as an island hospital. The isolation of North Brother Island was key. North Brother and its little brother, South Brother, seemed stranded, neither large enough nor close enough to the city's other islands to be fully inhabited. This geography created a sense of refuge, safety, health, as well as fear, exile, and discrimination, depending on your point of view, whether you are on the island or whether you are outside the island. Hospitals were among the civic institutions ascendant during this important period at the turn of the 20th century in response to the dangers of infectious disease advanced by the new sciences of bacteriology and epidemiology. Battling cholera, smallpox, scarlet fever, typhus, leprosy, polio, tuberculosis, venereal disease, and on, the era saw a wave of more medically advanced treatments overtake the traditions of quarantine. In 1881, when the New York Board of Health reported smallpox outbreaks and warned, quote, of the perils of impending pestilence, plans began to create an isolation hospital on North Brother. The hospital was designed and planned by Charles Coolidge Haight, a New York architect otherwise known for designing much of the General Theological Seminary in Chelsea, buildings at Yale and other colleges, and the double-towered New York Cancer Hospital on Central Park West. 
eight scheme for what became known as Riverside Hospital was organized as a spiral plan centered on the main hospital building with a radiating series of wooden patient pavilions. Infrastructure and service buildings were placed at south, land was graded and filled, and Haight designed a seawall to give it all a solid edge. The main hospital building was clad in brick and stone, akin to the other civic architecture of this early 20th century era. The design language of solid masonry construction, siting amid generous park-like settings of lawns and specimen trees, historic revival details, and generous interior layouts. Sewer and water connections linked the island to the rest of the city. On-island infrastructure included a gas power plant and a ferry dock. The campus complex opened in 1885, though only three of the 10 wooden pavilions were built by that time. The brick administration and doctor's residence building remains a distinguished ruin near the geographic center of the island. The need for Riverside Hospital's facilities was acute. The April 9th, 1892 edition of the Medical and Surgical Reporter noted, quote, the typhus scare is by no means over in New York. Now crises from entirely unsuspected quarters are continually cropping up and North Brother Island is teeming with patients, close quote. Opinions remained divided, however, on whether North Brother was the city's salvation or whether it was a vessel of concentrated suffering. The island remained controversial. Newspaper and medical journals frequently reported the benefits as well as the depredations of patients' treatment. The place was alternately described as a pest house or the black hole of Calcutta, rife with mismanagement and neglectful scaff. The place was alternately described as a pest house or the black hole of Calcutta, rife with mismanagement and neglectful staff. Or it was described as a well-kept health-giving resort washed with sea breezes. Sanitary conditions, staff practices, discrimination against immigrants, basic questions of civil liberties all dogged the island's reputation. Jacob Reese, among other writers, lauded the hospital. Riverside was not a place for quarantine in the strict sense. Instead of arriving by ship to spend 40 days in isolation, the hospital was populated by New Yorkers plucked from their homes, workplaces, and neighborhoods by newly empowered health authorities exiled to the island because they showed symptoms of highly communicable diseases, such as typhus or cholera. Some were taken against their will, as Reese and others observed and wrote about in the papers. Forced exile raised basic questions that echo loudly today. What individual freedoms are to be sacrificed for the greater good? Are a few to be forcibly hospitalized to preserve the health of the population at large? Against these questions, reformers and scientists agreed that North Brother Island was a necessary evil. The epitome or perhaps the caricature of the experience of North Brother Island's exile was the story of Mary Mallon, also known as Typhoid Mary. She was unwillingly sent to North Brother Island twice, from 1907 to 1910, and again from 1915 to 1938, due to her rare condition of being a healthy carrier of typhoid. Working as a cook made her a danger to society. Practicing poor sanitation, she infected more than 20 people. She long insisted that she was not a carrier because of her own good health, but science proved otherwise. When released in 1910 from North Brother, she agreed not to seek employment as a cook again. 
She adopted an assumed name, however, and took positions for Long Island families and in a New York City maternity hospital, where again, she infected others. On this infraction, she was exiled to North Brother for the duration of her natural life. She lived out her years in a separate cottage, no longer existing, and worked in the North Brother laboratories. Her name, of course, lives on as the moniker for any notorious disease carrier. Despite the tragedies of disease and isolation rooted in North Brother, the hospital island in the end worked very well. An 1892 Philadelphia newspaper noted with envy, quote, what we need is a municipal hospital such as New York has on North Brother Island with separate pavilions for each disease and a detention hospital for suspected cases or exposed individuals, close quote. Indeed, because the 1890s was a period of intensive advances in public health, in the science of sanitation, and in the power of the state municipal government, faith in reform and huge immigration influxes created the need for isolation as a solution for infectious disease, and it kept fueling physical changes to North Brother Island, even resulting in the island growing. In 1909, four acres of landfill were added to the eastern margin of the island, from subway construction, increasing the land area by about 25%. By the mid-1920s, however, North Brother Island's facilities were much less in demand. Facilities developed elsewhere in the city accommodated the medical and technological advances in combating infectious disease. National legislation, meanwhile, was imposing strict limits on immigration. The drop in demand bode poorly for North Brother. The New York Times reported its quote-unquote positively disgraceful condition in March 1926. The last and grandest addition to the hospital island was the tuberculosis pavilion, designed by Electus Litchfield. Mayor LaGuardia laid the cornerstone in October 1941 on the northern reach of the island, where Haight's original hospital and pavilions had once been. The pavilion is the most prominent remaining structure on the island today, a sprawling, charismatic, modern building of four levels with rounded ends functioning as day rooms for the wards. It dwarfs all the other structures on the island, save the smokestack of the power plant. After World War II, the island's usefulness was reframed. Returning veterans precipitated a housing shortage across the region in the immediate post-war years. Facing an urgent shortage of places to send returning GIs and their families, North Brother Island was included among the sites developed quickly as a post-war housing project. North Brother Island's repositioning as a center of community life was part of the changing geography of the whole metropolitan region. As new Levitt towns and other suburbs were being built at breakneck pace in late 1940s around New York, North Brother Island was refitted as a town for veterans and their families at the heart of New York. Veterans were studying at New York City universities on the GI Bill. The New York State Division of Housing leased the hospital's land and buildings on the island and funded the renovation into a neighborhood for a few thousand veterans who commuted daily to Columbia, New York University, Fordham, and other places, raised their families there, and brought a small town feeling to the island for just a bit of time. The island's geography in this short era became its greatest drawback. The isolation and the strains of ferry access back and forth to the mainland ended the residential experiment by 1951. After those five years, North Brother Island returned once more to its traditional use for medical isolation, this time focused on drug treatment, particularly of heroin addicts. The next incarnation of Riverside Hospital opened in 1952. The tuberculosis pavilion 
the school building and some smaller structures housed a residential drug treatment program, largely for youth from the Bronx and other declining neighborhoods around the city. Heroin and other drugs were understood to magnify existing mental and social disorder and isolation on the island and sometimes isolation within cells was seen as an, as an appropriate therapy for youthful offenders. Isolation again was key, quote unquote, the treatment program embraces physical withdrawal, physical rehabilitation, psychotherapy during a three month stay, according to a new newspaper article. The residents from this era left some remarkable traces on the island, especially the graffiti recording their feelings about confinement and treatment on the tuberculosis pavilion's walls. A graphic and poignant reminders of the troubling urban policies of the post-war period and the tumultuous lives that passed time on North Brother Island. For the past 50 years, the island has been uninhabited, its buildings left to decay. Invasive trees, vines, and other plants have formed a new landscape and created an unintentional, but now embraced wildlife refuge. My colleague Christopher Payne's photographs of this latest chapter in the island's history capture with remarkable vividness and depth of the deeply layered left behind landscape, a carefully cultivated place now given over to wildness. A few years ago on some mild autumn days, I went slogging through the overgrowth in the company of graduate students and colleagues and parks department personnel Boating to the island, tripping over kudzu, our legs stained by pokeweed berries, we surveyed the remnant buildings and the landscape features of North Brother. We found it a rich, if uncultivated landscape, a fascinating record and mirror of New York's history, and a testament to wildness, a deeply layered and complex landscape well worth preserving. Sometime in the future, one hopes, we'll have the vision and the wherewithal to reclaim North Brother perhaps as a patch of wildness used as a classroom for South Bronx students, hopefully not as a latter-day pandemic pest house. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sights and Sounds. Be sure to check out the rest of the series, available wherever you get podcasts. And visit us at GothamCenter.org to learn more about all of our programming here at the Gotham Center for New York City History. Post-production for this season was provided by Garrett Tiedemann for Citizen Racecar. Special thanks to Dina Ecker and Jessica George for their help in the making of this episode. I'm your host and the show's producer, Peter Christian Eigner, director of the Gotham Center for New York City History at the Graduate Center, City University of New York. Be safe, everyone.